Greetings and welcome to the Boilers Extra Podcast. Thought we went away forever, but no, we're back. Our first podcast, or whatever you call this thing, since end uh, of the basketball season, I believe, after Purdue was ousted by North Texas down at Lucas Oil Stadium. Well, returning from Lucas Oil Stadium again as we recap uh, what we learned and what you need to know going into the 2021 football season because uh, today and Thursday, uh, Big Ten Media Day for football happened, something we didn't get to experience last year because of COVID, but something that we got back and experienced this year and I would say that uh, it was a pleasure to be back Uh, also forgot how long of days that these events are but well worth it Uh, and having it in Indianapolis was a good deal at Lucas Oil Stadium right there on the, the playing surface everyone was spread out everybody had enough room to do what they needed to do from interviews to television to the podium and all that kind of stuff so it was a, it was a good two days uh, for the Big Ten well maybe not a great two days for the Big Ten but for them to have this event you know tells you that football season's just around the corner and uh, getting set to go I always look at this event as the end of summer but I'm not sure that I even had a I'm not sure summer even started, and I'm not sure when it started, because it's all seemed to blend together. So what do we learn about the Boilermakers uh, today? They went uh, on Friday, uh, Jeff Brom and uh, three players, George Karloftis, David Bell, Jackson Anthrop, took, all took their turns answering questions uh, from uh, members of the Big Ten media. Um, I, I, I'm not sure we, at least based on what I heard and uh, all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm not sure that we learned, not sure I learned anything new, um, maybe other than Sam Garvin, uh, a backup center, is going to be questionable going into training camp and for the season as he deals with a back injury. Uh, if Garvin can't go, that would be the fourth offensive lineman that they've lost uh, in the last year due to uh, injuries. You know, Mark Stickford is, is done. Will Bramall is done. Kyle Jornigan is done. And then you might add Sam Garvin to the mix. As you recall, Garvin, you know, started center several games and had the distinct pleasure of uh, becoming uh, famous on Twitter for the uh, Sam Garvin backside report, which was started a few years ago by Kurt Barron. Uh, now Gus Hardwick is, is is set to start center, but what if Garvin can't play? It eats into Purdue's depth on the offensive line, and at one point Purdue had enough bodies and a lot of bodies to kind of weather some injuries. But uh, that depth has been uh, eaten into, so to speak, by by some of the by some of the uh, the injuries that uh, the guys have. Uh, uh, suffered here over the last year or so or just problems that just could not get fixed uh so 
it probably doesn't look good for Sam Garvin to uh, to play this year or, or get into camp, but uh, we'll see what happens on the on the first day. You know, other than that, I mean, as I said, I, I'm not sure I learned a whole lot. I mean, if you've been following our our reporting and our stories uh, over the last couple weeks, um, you know, told you about Anthony Watts and the broken foot that he's unlikely to play this season. Uh, and that, again, goes, that hits the depth issue on the defensive line. You know, Branson Dean and Lawrence Johnson, two returnees, uh, will get a shot there to, to play and, and be part of the rotation. Purdue also has a couple of uh, transfers uh, coming in for the for that position at the defensive tackle. So um, I think they feel, feel okay with uh, what they have there. Um, but, you know, other things that, you know, in case you missed it, that, that have popped up, um, you know, over time. You know, Yanni Karloftis, uh, the talented uh, West Lafayette player, uh, he's good to go for training camp, didn't participate in spring uh, after the hamstring injury that took away most, virtually his whole high school season as a senior uh, last year. But he's going to get a first shot. At, uh, one of, at an outside linebacker spot. Uh, so things like that that have, that have been happening and, uh, and encourage you that, you know, if you want to get caught up a little bit, go to the website, uh, jconline.com uh, to, to kind of catch up on what's going on uh, from the football program standpoint. So, I mean, there wasn't, a, again, wasn't a whole lot that, that really came out new today. You know, I think you know, to me, there's a couple main storylines with the Purdue team so far. This uh, in the off season is, you know, number one, and uh, writ, uh, you know, wrote about it probably a week ago. Is just, you know, where do the transfers fit? How many of them can play? Uh, what's going to be, uh, you know, their expectation level? Uh, you know, there's nine transfers. Uh, eight of them came from the portal. One came via junior college. But what, what is, uh, you know, how many of them are going to get on the field? How many are going to start? How many are going to contribute? And, you know, a big key to the season really is how much uh, those transfers do do play. Uh, because, obviously, Brom and the coaching staff, you know, feel like there's a, a lot of shortcomings on the team. And that led them to the transfer portal. To, to beef up some depth, beef up some starting positions, but to me, and I understand transfer portals here to stay, and it's you know, and you're going to get, you're going to Purdue's going to be a player in that every year, um, but to me, it speaks more of uh, maybe the shortcomings in the early stages of recruiting, you know, recruiting high school kids. If you've got to go in the portal that much, at one time Purdue had 11 commitments from the portal or 11 transfers uh, and that's a high number and when you're building a program you know if you're like Michigan State you know maybe that's an acceptable number but you know I, I just think that Purdue should be far enough along in not only the recruiting process but also the developmental process with their players that you know jumping into the portal that much um, to me raises a bit of a red flag. It's not it's not all the way there, but it just it does raise some questions as far as 
first of all, what are you doing on the front end from a recruiting standpoint? Are you getting the right guys? And then number two, um, are you developing the right guys? Are you developing to the point where they're they're in a position to play? Um, so that's going to be you know remain to be seen what happens. You know, transfers can be used as a stopgap to get you from point A to point B. Um, but it is here to stay. It's going to be part of uh, what happens with this Purdue program. Uh, everyone's looking for quick fixes. Everybody's looking for guys to come in and have an immediate impact. And, you know, Purdue's going to be no different in, in that regard. Uh, I will say one of the transfers, Brock Thompson, you know, David Bell raved about him today. Now, Brock Thompson went to Ben Davis. And as you know, David Bell went to Warren Central. So they were kind of rivals uh, growing up, but also became good friends because, as the as the kids say, talent recognizes talent. And, you know, Brock Thompson transferred from Marshall. You know, he had a decent season last year. He has the ability to catch the ball, but uh, uh, David Bell um, really high on him, and it, it appears you know, that we haven't seen it, but according to David Bell, you know, Brock Thompson's taken on some leadership roles as far as teaching the guys uh, some stuff, uh, which is a good sign. I, I think you're going to see Brock Thompson play uh, this season and probably play a lot and probably catch his share of, of, of passes. You know, I think that's uh, uh, that's probably one thing to, to look for. You know, the other major storyline for me at this point for Purdue is the defense. You know, a lot of coaching changes on that side of the ball. Basically, got a whole new defensive staff, and you know Jeff Brom is more involved in the defense uh, from a planning standpoint, uh, from a game planning standpoint, and also a scheme standpoint. And he's trying to put his mark on that side of the ball, just like he's tried to put his mark on the on the on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, but you know, if you want to latch on to what has been said. Um, or what is being said about the defense. It's going to be more aggressive. Uh, they're going to create more turnovers. Um, I mean, you're, you're hearing all the right things you want to hear, but, you know, it does come down to, to execution. And, you know, Purdue's not going to be a great defensive team or a great defensive program. Now, last year... The numbers were not absolutely horrible, but the way they played was a step back. And I think we all know the reason why. You know, Bob Diaco's approach uh, was more passive, sit back, uh, let them get in the red zone, and then make a play. Well, that didn't always happen. It didn't. It didn't happen a whole lot. Uh, and you know, the Diaco thing along with some of the other situations that happened last year, uh, kind of set this defense back. Now, you know, Jeff feels like he's fixed that part of it. He's got a lot of experience now on the defensive staff. You know, Mark Hagan, who was here back under Joe Tiller and has a wealth of experience coaching the defensive line, doing a great job, in my opinion, recruiting in-state. As you've probably seen, they picked up Joe Strickland from Burbuff the other day. Uh, either he's going to replace George Karloftis or if George Karloftis comes back 
for another season, he'll play with George Karloftis. So Purdue's kind of in a win-win situation there. Uh, you know, I think Strickland is viewed as kind of the next, you know, den, you know, the den of the defensive ends or defensive ends den, however you want to phrase it. But he's he's kind of earmarked as the next the next one. Uh, but Hagen's done a good job coaching these guys and also recruiting. You got Brad Lambert, linebackers coach. He'll be the play caller on defense. Uh, and then Ron English, who's a former head coach, same as Lambert, uh, back there. And then James Adams, who's a young guy who they got from Navy, but you know hasn't been a head coach. So they've got two former head coaches on the defensive staff, and then Mark Hagen with his experience and his knowledge uh, to really help out. Um, and, you know, Jeff Rahm wanted more of a collaborative effort on defense, which didn't happen last year. Uh, you know, I'd heard this story uh, throughout last season, but uh, George Karloft has kind of confirmed it today that, you know, one of the things he likes about what's going on defensively right now is that they meet more with their position coach as opposed to last year when they didn't. And George is getting a whole lot out of that from a teaching standpoint, technique standpoint, and just being able to learn from from Mark Hagen. But last year I'd heard that they did not meet a whole lot, if any, with their position coach, you know, individually. It was more of a group setting with the entire defense. And there were just a lot of things that went on last year that made it an unpleasant experience for those on the defensive side. And you can tell it's a, it's a lot different. There's a lot more uh, energy involved. The vibe is different. Um, they seemed uh, they seem to be united and together. And if you if you remember back to Brahms first couple years, and Nick Holt was the defensive coordinator, you had a feeling. You know, you had that feeling that they were together uh, and they were united because they swarmed to the ball a lot. They um, you know they played. You know, they, their chemistry was strong. Um, you know, and that's, you know, if you go back to 2017, that's been, I think, Brahms' best defensive team. And a lot of it had to do with some transfers coming in, and they, you know, moved some guys around. But, you know, you had a Juwan Bentley, which ended up, you know, play, you know, continues to play for the Patriots. And Marcus Bailey, you have, you know, other guys that have gone on and, and played at the next level. So you had some talent there, but they had to get in the right spot. You know, this year's defense is probably going to be similar to that from a scheme standpoint, but can they get out there and execute and make those plays? And that's going to be the key. And they're going to, they, they seem content on the fact that they are going to give up some big plays. And, but, he, you know, Jeff has emphasized he wants them to be aggressive, maybe take some chances, uh, and, and just become playmakers on that side of the ball and you know you just again you're going to give up some plays but you'd rather kind of go down swinging a little bit so those are just kind of the two major storylines from my standpoint there are others obviously and who's going to be the quarterback and can Purdue get its running game going um you know what other receivers besides David Bell uh you know are going to step up and you know, Bell also talked about Marshawn Rice. Uh, thinks he's ready to have 
a breakout year. He's had some injury issues that has, has really prevented him from getting on the field. So there are a lot of other storylines out there. Special teams are going to be big. They're going to have two new, you know, have a new kicker and a new punter. Um, you know, the linebacking core uh, won't be any how really household names. You know, Jalen Alexander will be back. Uh, but other than that, there's not a real, you know, real strong household names there like Purdue used to have with, uh, as you know, mentioned Juwan Bailey, Marcus Bailey, uh, and some of those guys. And then the, the secondary, uh, they've added a couple new pieces, and, and we'll see how that works out. The other thing that came out of the last two days, and, uh, and if you've been following any of the sports news, is just, you know, we're back to expansion talk in college athletics. Uh, chaos is back. Uh, let the let the realignment train start rolling. Uh, but what, in, in case you haven't been following it, or uh, you know, all signs point to Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC uh, to give them 16 teams. Uh, it, it'll be a tremendous amount of money uh, for all the schools. I mean, right now, uh, I think SEC schools are are looking at getting in the neighborhood of $60 million each. Uh, and you, you can add to that once Oklahoma and Texas get into the get into the SEC. Uh, and that probably will vault them ahead of the Big Ten when it comes to the, the large payouts uh, that each school will get. But that doesn't always guarantee you wins on the field. But the biggest question is why Oklahoma and Texas would do it. Um, Because, in a way, it it doesn't make a lot of sense. And the reason it doesn't make a lot of sense is it makes the path to the college football playoff, even even if you expanded 12 teams, it makes it harder to get in there if you're Texas and Oklahoma. I mean, in the Big 12 right now, they are, or they should, and Oklahoma has been there four years at least. Now, they're 0-4, but they've been there four years. Now, Texas hasn't picked itself up and put itself in a position to to be back on, on the national uh, spotlight. But this just creates a harder path for those two schools, and it creates a harder path for the other schools to have a shot to get to the not only the college football playoff, but to, to get to a bowl game. I mean, if you're Missouri, if you're Kentucky, um, if you're Arkansas, you know, go right down the list. Now, you might have to play Oklahoma and Texas in the same season, along with playing Alabama and Georgia and Florida and whoever else. So everybody's path just got harder. And I'm not saying college sports and athletics should be easy, but that part of it doesn't make sense to me, especially with the college football playoff. I know I know they're probably going to expand to 12 teams, but still, you know, not all 12 of those teams are coming from the SEC. And so that part of it is strange to me. Uh, but I, I don't think the Big 12 is going to be around much longer. And I think Oklahoma and Texas got got out in front of it several months ago. I, I think after being told, you know, this is just based on a story I read, after being told that, 
you know, the TV rights are probably not going to increase substantially uh, from a financial standpoint. So I think then they, they started, you know, how can we, you know, how can each school better themselves uh, from, from that standpoint? And going to the SEC was that. Now, it's disappointing that the Big Ten is behind in this. Now, and I know there's some some things going on, you know, Kansas, USC. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if you know. Are, are we going to get in a situation where schools are going to start, you know, robbing other conferences? Then we're going to have a whole big mess on our hands. You know, my suggestion for Texas is just to go independent. They would get a pass to the college football playoff by going independent. They can play all their rivals. You can still have the Texas-Oklahoma game. Uh, and then Texas can play, you know, A&M, and they can play Texas Tech. Uh, you know, they can play Notre Dame home and home. They can play BYU home and home. I mean, they, they would be able to fill out their schedule and also have a pathway to the college football playoff. And if that would happen, then I think the door is open for Oklahoma and Oklahoma State to potentially come to the Big Ten. And I think those two schools would work. And if you remember the last time we went through this, when Nebraska came in and, you know, and then they looked at Rutgers and Maryland... Oklahoma, based on what I was told by some pretty reliable folks, that Oklahoma was vetted as a possible candidate for the Big Ten expansion the last go-around. So if they were vetted the last time, then there's no reason to think they wouldn't be part uh, of the mix this time. But the disappointing part from the Big Ten is that, first of all, this has been going on six months or so, probably longer, that nobody within the Big Ten has um, reacted to it or didn't react to it. I can tell you with 100% confidence that if Jim Delaney was still in charge of the Big Ten, was the commissioner, that he would have had a plan in place and not that the Big Ten has to react but he would have a plan in place or reached out to Oklahoma and Texas and said oh you want to leave? Well here's what we can do for you and here's what the next TV rights contract will look like Uh, but based on some conversations I had over the last couple days that has not happened and probably would not happen under the current leadership of the Big Ten and the one thing you don't want to do if you're a Big Ten guy is fall behind right now and and if Oklahoma and Texas do go to the SEC which all signs are pointing to that then I think the Big Ten is better off doing nothing Because there's no school or groups of schools 
that can add enough value from a media rights standpoint when when those rights come up there's not a group of schools that really moves the needle enough to say you got to take them you know the last time this I know you what you're thinking is like well Rutgers doesn't move the needle Maryland doesn't move the needle well they moved the needle in the aspect of the last time expansion was a big deal it was all about cable number of households and when you're looking at Rutgers you're looking at the New York City market you looked at Maryland you looked at the Washington DC market and that corridor and there were tons and tons of cable possibilities there that they could charge premium rates for the Big Ten Network Um, and that's why those schools were attractive I'm not sure that now over the last 10 years how many how many households have cut their cable or cut their their access to cable or satellite and they are streaming uh, and doing other things to get their programming that you know that that's not part of the mix this year this time and I'm not sure what is part of the mix to be honest I, I'm not sure what the end game in is here for Oklahoma and Texas because you're not picking up any more cable households really I mean you will now you, you do get Texas and it's you get the whole state of Texas and you get Oklahoma now you know from a meteorite standpoint you know the marquee game you get is Oklahoma versus Texas and the networks will pay for that but then you get the occasional Oklahoma Alabama Texas Alabama so on and so forth uh, you know Texas Arkansas which is you know one time a, a huge huge rivalry back in the the Southwest Conference days um, but the, the it just it doesn't right now it just doesn't seem to fit together and it doesn't seem to make complete sense one day it will you know maybe this is a way to start um, the NCAA governance grab of getting the SEC so powerful that it can dictate bylaws uh, and if the NCAA does go away the SEC would kind of be in a position to to, to get what it wants you know I, I'm not sure on that I just know we're you know we've been headed for changes in college athletics we've seen them but I think we're headed for more uh, substantial changes now that this expansion probably is going to, to take place but back to what I was saying about the Big Ten I, I'm not sure um, adding to add does anything for you and I know what you're thinking Kansas basketball yes I mean Kansas basketball by itself is enough to warrant a discussion to warrant see to see if they if they would fit but other than that Kansas doesn't bring anything else to the table they certainly don't bring the football program and college athletic expansion conference expansion is all about football basketball just comes along for the ride and by by adding Kansas to the Big Ten that would be great for the basketball horrible for the football 
they would become a regular a regular on BTN if that was the case you know Kansas State you know I go down the list Baylor Texas Tech uh, TCU West Virginia none of those schools moved the needle Iowa State although Iowa State is a, is a, a lot alike you know they're a lot similar to Big Ten schools just from a academic and non-athletic standpoint but you already have Iowa getting Iowa State doesn't do you any good from a financial standpoint when you're negotiating the next uh, media rights because okay who wants the Iowa State Nebraska game you know that happened in the Big 8 however many years ago who wants the Iowa State Wisconsin game what TV network wants Iowa State and Illinois who wants Iowa State, Michigan? I mean, uh, you get my point. Whereas the TV people will want Texas versus Alabama, Texas versus Georgia, so on and so forth. Um, but I, I just, I think the best move for the Big Ten is first of all to wait, kind of see what happens. Don't do something that you're going to regret down the line. Just keep it, keep it at 14. I always thought when this started 10, 11, 12 years ago that we would end up with four 16-team conferences. Still may get there. Now, the other question is, what do other conferences do? And before I continue, I know what you're thinking. Well, what about Notre Dame? Notre Dame's not coming to the Big Ten. They're just not. They're not coming to the Big Ten. They never will come to the Big Ten under the current leadership of the school. They value their independence. They value now. If you if somehow their their access to the college football playoff got shut out, then they would. I think they would have to seriously look at joining a conference. But the and the people that put the college football playoff together seem to be willing to work with Notre Dame to make sure that they have access. So Notre Dame is not really going anywhere and if they didn't go anywhere they would probably go to the ACC um, which you know we all know they would fit in the Big Ten uh, it, would, it would definitely spice up the league see if you added Notre Dame you can add anybody else you want to make the 16 you could add Kansas at that point because it doesn't matter the value of having Notre Dame in your league just brings somebody else along I mean you could add uh, pick the school. I mean, you could add any school you want. But if you add Notre Dame as your 15th school, go ahead and get Kansas. Go ahead and get uh, TCU. I mean, go get Baylor. It, it doesn't matter. Because the value of Notre Dame will just trump everything. Uh, because now you're going to have that every year. Notre Dame versus Michigan. Notre Dame versus Ohio State. Notre Dame uh, versus Wisconsin, even though I know the two schools were playing this year. But Notre Dame-Penn State, I mean, just on and on and on, the value of that would just take those media rights to a new level. But Big Ten should just stand pat at 14, see what happens. You know, does the Pac-12 react now and try to add two teams? Do they try to go pick somebody out of the out of the, out of the, uh, the Pac-12? Do they go, go get Kansas, Kansas State? Uh, 
So, in you know the ACC, what does it do on uh, this situation? You know, if, if the Big Ten was looking to pick schools out of another conference, you know, I'd probably look at the ACC um, and look at Syracuse and maybe Virginia if you had your choice. And in the SEC, if you had schools down near the middle to the bottom that were looking to leave, leave you know, Missouri, Kentucky would would, uh, would possibly fit. But, you know, it, it's hard to get a school out of an existing Power 5 conference that are solidified the way that every Power 5 is set up except the Big 12. And the Big 12 has kind of left itself open to get raided. That, that's that's what's going to happen. So it's just something very interesting to watch and to follow. Uh, I'm a bit fascinated by it because, uh, you know, it's part of the job, but it's also to see how this all lines up and shakes out. And expansion always happens around the time that conferences are renegotiating media rights deals because they're always looking to get more money. And if the Big Ten would expand by two teams, they would have to get more money because the current schools aren't going to take less. You know, right now, I think Big Ten schools are probably approaching 55 to $60 million a year. And they would need more than that. They would probably need to go to $65 million a year by the time you added uh, your new schools. Um, And again, I just don't see... Once you take Oklahoma and Texas off the table, I don't see two schools that would do that for the Big Ten unless there are schools that are in an existing Power Five conference outside of the Big 12. Uh, So it's, it's an interesting dynamic. Probably some of you have grown tired of it, even though we haven't really talked about expansion in a long time. But um, it is getting spread out. It's getting harder and harder to follow. Um, And and while this is all about football, it affects all the sports. And there's more travel going to be involved. If if there is expansion across uh, 2021-22 school year, appreciate you stopping by. We'll... As I always say, we'll try to do more of these <laughs> as we as we get closer, and you know, as, as Purdue starts practice and other things happen over the course of time, we'll be we'll we'll sure surely um, pump more of these out. You know, hopefully not not as long as this one, but we'll we'll pump these out. Anyway, appreciate you joining us. Uh, remember to subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends and neighbors. Uh, tell a business person that. They should sponsor it. I have my own uh, name, image, and likeness. uh, And we could go from there. And you can catch us on all the the podcast, uh, uh, Apple stuff, and everything else where you can hear these things. Questions, comments, concerns, feel free to reach out. And uh, we'll try to answer your questions as best as possible. All right, well, thanks for stopping by. I appreciate it, and have a good day.